0: It starts the same way. Can I tell you a secret? I was terrified. I still sleep with clubs next to my bed. People seldom show their true selves online. But one man, he's taken it much further. From The Guardian, I'm Shirin Kale, and this is Can I Tell You a Secret? A story about obsession, fear, and the lives we lead online. Listen to all episodes now, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: November 29th, 2004, was a wet and cold night in West Paducah, Kentucky. The rain had been relentless for days, and the creek beds were straining to contain the amount of water flowing from the nearby Ohio River. Flash flooding wasn't unusual in the area. It was a kind of night you would want to stay home. And this is exactly what the Wallaces did. Harold and Peggy Wallace were long term residents of the area they had planned to stay indoors and ride out the bad weather, enjoying each other's company. That was until just after midnight, when there was a knock on their door. Unusual, given it was a Monday night, but the persistent knocking was impossible to ignore. Opening the door, they were surprised to see their friends, 37-year-old Johnny Gray and his wife, 32-year-old Sandy. They were damp and muddy, not only shivering from the cold, but Sandy looked distressed and looked like she had been crying. The Wallaces ushered the couple inside to warm up and dry off. Johnny explained their car had broken down and they needed a ride home. What struck the Wallaces as strange, though, was that the Greys' 10-month-old baby, Katie, was not with them. Johnny explained this away that Katie was at home with a babysitter, that they had an argument after the car broke down, and this is why Sandy was crying. Now, of course, said Harold, and he drove Johnny and Sandy back to their Lone Creek home, stopping on the way so Johnny could purchase a packet of cigarettes from the gas station. Harold returned home, and the Wallaces thought that was that, a bizarre end to a winter night but the Greys would soon return to Harold and Peggy's home with disturbing news. They decided they had to tell the truth of what really happened that night. This is Katie's story. November 29th, 2004, 1am. Johnny and Sandy Grey again returned to the Wallaces' home. This time, they told their friends they wanted to come clean, that baby Katie was not home with a babysitter. Instead, she was in the Massic Creek. That's when Sandy allegedly sobbed, quote, I killed my baby. I killed my baby. I know I killed my baby, Unquote. The 911 call came in at 1.08 a.m., According to Johnny and Sandy Grey, they would tell the police a different story to the events of the night and what happened to their daughter. Mechanic Johnny had brought home a Chevrolet S10 Blazer SUV for the purpose to test the repairs of the vehicle the following day. However, Katie would not settle that night, and on occasion when Katie wouldn't sleep, They would take her for a drive to help her fall asleep. Nothing unusual there. My mother used to do that for me. She used to tell me that was the only way to get me to go to sleep. So Sandy packed a diaper bag and Johnny placed Katie in her baby car seat, wrapped in her favourite blanket. It was around 10pm at this time, two hours before they would arrive on the Wallace's doorstep. Johnny would drive on a remote gravel road, off Mayfield's Metropolis Road. He then crossed the Massick Creek, before turning around on a nearby gravel pit. The family waited in their vehicle for around 15 minutes, listening to the water running in the creek and the rain falling, hoping the white noise would lull Katie into a deep slumber. After about 15 minutes, Johnny restarted his car so the family could return home. But the water had risen, and the vehicle stalled. It was a flash flood, and the vehicle started being dragged away towards the Ohio River in the flow. In a panic, Johnny and Sandy attempted to get out. Initially, Sandy attempted to grab the baby car seat with Katie inside, but then she was swept away with the current before she had a solid grip on the seat. She was able to get out of the water, though, and she climbed up onto the bank. Johnny would tell the police he then grabbed his daughter's car seat with her inside it. He started heading towards the bank, too, where Sandy was waiting, but he lost his footing along with his grip on the seat. The water moving so fast that Katie was gone before he realised. The couple would spend the next hour and a half trying to find Katie and then walking a half a mile to the Wallace's home, where they told their friends the fabricated story about the party and the argument, and Katie being with the babysitter. Throughout this discussion with police, Sandy was hysterical to the point of threatening to suicide if her daughter was not found. Because of this, she was sedated and checked into the psychiatric ward of Lord's Hospital. This happened only a few hours after the police were called, so they were unable to speak to her further, only Johnny. However, police were interested in speaking to her regarding the statement she told the Wallaces about killing her baby. Now, my initial thought of this It could very well be the worst-case scenario. They may have killed Katie. But it's also very possible Sandy would be feeling supreme guilt over accidentally losing her grip on the baby seat, if that's what happened. If so, that would account for her statement to the Wallaces. And Sandy would say as much months later, when she was interviewed by the sun Paducah newspaper. Sandy would explain, quote, we didn't have our baby when we left the creek. If I ever made a comment that I killed my baby, it's because we had just lost her. It's because I knew she was gone, and because I was hysterical. I wanted to run after it happened, but I didn't kill my baby. She was just gone. It was so dark, I could not see anything. Unquote. The media interview will be the only interview Sandy will ever agree to. This is including the police. The police were not able to formally interview Sandy, and she would never consent to one. And as she was now hospitalised, this left only Johnny to put the pieces together. Once daylight hours hit, law enforcement and rescue teams searched five miles in potentially dangerous conditions. They trudged back and forth along Massick Creek, searching for any sign of the little girl. Boats and four-wheelers were also seen combing the banks of the Massick Creek. By mid-morning, searchers two-mile downstream found Katie's diaper bag and blanket. Cadaver dogs picked up on a scent, but they were unable to find her. Authorities were disheartened. They actually thought they would recover Katie quickly. McCracken County Sheriff Frank Augustus would later state to the grand jury, quote, "...with all the debris in the creek, I don't see any way that the car seat would have floated all the way to the Ohio River. We couldn't get through the creek in a boat, so I don't see how a car seat could have gotten through," McCracken County Coroner Dan Sims would support this statement. He would be quoted as saying the car seat and baby together would have weighed more than 25 pounds, which should have caused the seat to sink very near to where the car seat entered the water. Regardless, all the initial searches in the first week would lead to no trace of Katie outside of her scent the cadaver dogs were picking up on. It starts the
0: same way. Can I tell you a secret? I was terrified. I still sleep with clubs next to my bed. People seldom show their true selves online. But one man, he's taken it much further. From The Guardian, I'm Shirin Kale, and this is Can I Tell You a Secret? A story about obsession, fear, and the lives we lead online. Listen to all episodes now, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Police would also immediately search the area surrounding the couple's apartment in Lone Oak, which is eight miles from the creek site. They searched the woods and dumpster behind the apartment. Despite police publicly stating this was only part of their investigation, to eliminate any other possibilities, so they could focus solely on the creek. Despite this, Johnny would be very vocal with his anger at this. Quote, We've been up all night dealing with the police. And last night, the police show up. And they clean out every dumpster in the apartment complex. And they put the dogs in the woods, looking for our baby, instead of searching the creek. Unquote. December 4th, 2004. Johnny Gray would voluntarily take a polygraph test. He would actually attempt four polygraphs on this day. Law enforcement would only state that the polygraphs were inconclusive because he was so upset at the time. After this, Johnny would lawyer up and refuse to cooperate further with police. Despite this, Sheriff Augustus said his statements were quote-unquote, "...mostly consistent." At the search site, cadaver dogs again were indicating a body may be in the area, just downstream from where the car went into the creek. Crews desperately trying to fight the unpredictable waters, making a makeshift earthen dam to try and redirect the water, while they pumped the water out of the creek to aid in their search. The next day, though, disheartened. Sheriff Augustus admitted they lost the battle and announced this would be the last day of the search until the water subsided. The flash flooding was just too dangerous for the searchers. As a last-ditch effort, police brought in a specialised bloodhound from Missouri. Grimm was trained and had experience in recovering human remains from fast-moving waters. Again, unfortunately, nothing would be found. No baby car seat and no Katie. December 7th, 2004. The physical search reconvened even though the conditions had not improved. Sheriff Augustus gave two reasons for this Quote, to give Katie a proper burial and because Katie's body is going to tell a story. Unquote. A third reason for this was because public prosecutors were sitting on their hands. They were waiting to press charges on Katie's parents. Everyone involved believed Johnny and Sandy may not be telling them the whole truth. But with little evidence, there was a concern there that if they pressed charges on the parents with a lesser offence, like reckless negligence, then they would be precluded from increasing the charges if ultimately the greys were found to have a larger role in Katie's death. Public prosecutors started compiling what evidence they did have, though. Medical records of both Katie and Sandy were requested. In past cases, medical files were used to identify a body and to find out what patients have said to doctors. Whether law enforcement thought there was a chance Sandy confessed to a more significant part in Katie's disappearance, whilst in the psychiatric hospital, we don't know. But I think that was their line of thinking. Authorities always knew this was headed for a grand jury, and they wanted to give themselves all the chances to get the answers Katie deserved. Now, this is not the police targeting grieving parents. Any unresolved death case in the state of Kentucky requires a grand jury. It wasn't just in the Gray's case. The standing grand jury, however, may be asked to consider whether charges more serious than negligence could be filed against either parent. It would also be around this time the vehicle the greys were travelling in that night could be forensically processed. Unfortunately, the delay in this was due to the car being waterlogged. It had been three quarters underwater when it was towed from the creek, and the interior was soaked. Based on a lot of factors, or maybe because there was nothing there to be found, the car was cleared and given back to its owners. And unfortunately, on December 10th, the search was again suspended because of the high and rising waters, snowfall being a new addition to the wet conditions. December 12, 2004, 1am. Sandy Gray would be arrested for a DUI, her third, after she drove her car off the road into a stop sign. She would be held on a $2,500 bond. It was after her arrest Sandy would inform correctional officers she was pregnant with the couple's second child, her third. Sandy had a 17-year-old son from a previous marriage. Johnny would also be arrested before the end of the year after being charged with his own DUI as well as driving on a suspended license. He would meet Belle and be quickly released. However, Sandy would remain behind bars awaiting her court hearing. She would ultimately be sentenced to 100 days in jail for her DUI. January 24, 2005 The Greys' extended family held a memorial service for baby Katie, minus Sandy, who was still behind bars. Johnny wrote a poem which was recited by a local pastor One day this nightmare will be in the past and reunite us together at last. February 20th, 2005. The physical search finally picked up where it left off two months earlier, but still nothing would be found, despite cadaver dogs still picking up on that same scent. McCracken County Coroner Dan Sims would say in a press conference, We have not recovered anything yet, but our cadaver dogs are still showing interest in this area, so it leads us to believe hopefully we are in the right area. The search this time would take place every day for almost a month, before being scaled down. Law enforcement dedicated to search again periodically, quote, When it becomes clear we are not going to find a child's body, then we will take it to a grand jury, unquote. May 5, 2005. Johnny Gray would attempt suicide, He would set off two bug bombs in his apartment, leaving behind two handwritten notes and a video file on his computer. Whilst none of these contents have ever been released, what law enforcement have said was that there was no admission of wrongdoing in Katie's disappearance. He would describe Katie's death as accidental. What this did do, though, was prompt authorities to renew their physical search for Katie's remains. Police would go back to the Greys apartment complex for a day long search with cadaver dogs and all terrain vehicles. Nothing would be found. Sheriff Augustus would explain the new search as, quote, eliminating the possibility that something else happened to her and that her body may be elsewhere. Unquote. October 29, 2005 a grand jury would indict both Johnny and Sandy on charges of second-degree manslaughter. They would also face charges of possession of marijuana, tampering with evidence, and leaving the scene of an accident. According to the manslaughter indictment, the Greys either, quote, "...wantonly caused the death of Katie Gray," or "...wantonly failed to make a proper effort to prevent the death of Katie Gray," unquote. McCracken County Sheriff Detective Tom Emery stated afterwards, quote, It's an awful case that stays with you day and night. Unquote. The arrangement was set for December 16, 2005. The Grays were living in Tennessee at the time with their new baby girl and did not attend the grand jury hearing, but the arrest warrants were issued. They would be arrested soon after, and their new baby daughter would be removed from their custody and placed with other family members. November 2005. The search began again at the Massick Creek area. This would also be the first time Massick Creek had been dry enough to walk its length to the Ohio River. Police also searched in an adjoining county where Sandy's family had some acreage, as well as searching the area around the home of the friends where the Greys first went to tell them that Katie was missing, the Wallaces. Not that the police suspected them of being involved. Again, it was just a case of ticking all the boxes, ensuring they had not missed anything. But no trace of Katie or the car seat was ever found. authorities moved forward with pre-trial preparations, especially since this would be the first manslaughter case in McCracken County in at least 10 years to go to trial without a body. There was a lot of media attention for the upcoming trial. There was some talk of a possible plea agreement at the pre-trial conference on February 8, 2006, but the Gray's defence lawyer was adamant that his clients were innocent and victims themselves, that they would prove this at trial. The prosecution argued the one thing they did know for certain, that they did have the evidence for, that drugs were an unknown factor here as both parents had marijuana and other drugs in their blood tests that night. The prosecution argued both parents returned to their home to smoke marijuana before telling their friends that Katie had been swept down the creek, that they did not search for her as they reported to police. If found guilty, Johnny and Sandy Gray faced up to 10 years in prison for the manslaughter charge. A second felony charge, tampering with physical evidence, added another five years to a potential sentence. The couple also faced a misdemeanour charge of possession of marijuana and leaving the scene of an accident. Johnny had a third misdemeanour charge of driving on a suspended licence. But it was Sandy who had the potential of spending the most time in prison if convicted. Adding to her charges was a persistent felony offender indictment, which carried up to a 20 year stint in prison because she had a prior drug conviction and was on probation. April 26, 2006. An announcement was made that surprised everyone. Johnny and Sandy Gray accepted a plea agreement, even though their defence lawyer had previously said they had no intention of pleading guilty. The agreement included a guilty plea to a lesser charge of reckless homicide and up to five years in jail. At the sentencing hearing, McCracken County Coroner Dan Sims testified it was likely Katie and her car seat did end up in the Ohio River, four miles away from where she originally fell into the water. Their findings also stated with the weather conditions that evening, it could have taken somewhere between 44 minutes and almost two hours for her in the car seat to reach the river. Sadly, just about the time her parents reported her missing. The Army Corps of Engineering supported the coroner's findings and said the night baby Katie's parents dropped her in the Massick Creek, the water was moving eight feet per second. Katie would have made it to the Ohio River very quickly. And on August 4, 2006, Johnny and Sandy Gray were both sentenced to the maximum sentence available for reckless homicide. Both were sentenced to five years' imprisonment each. In our research, the last update we can find came on January 28, 2007, where the Kentucky Parole Board rejected Sandy's request for early release. She was denied parole and ordered to serve the rest of her sentence. Both Johnny and Sandy would have been released in late 2011. It is unknown if their youngest child was returned to their custody. Katie Gray's remains have never been found. Katie Gray was 10 months old at the time of her disappearance, she was to Fortin around 23 pounds, with strawberry blonde hair and blue eyes. Katie was last seen wearing a purple top, purple pants and white socks. If Katie is still alive today, she would have just celebrated her 18th birthday. If you have any information regarding the whereabouts of Katie Gray, please contact the McCracken County Sheriff's Department on... 501-371-4617. If you have your own thoughts on the case we discussed today, or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives, please search Stolen Lives on Facebook. Like the page so you don't miss any episode, and join the discussion group to share your ideas and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search Lives underscore Stolen, and on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please share on your social media of choice and rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app. This week's episode was researched, written, hosted and produced by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu.
0: starts the same way. Can I tell you a secret? I was terrified. I still sleep with clubs next to my bed. People seldom show their true selves online. But one man, he's taken it much further. From The Guardian, I'm Shirin Karla, and this is Can I Tell You a Secret? A story about obsession, fear, and the lives we lead online. Listen to all episodes now, wherever you get your podcasts.